Okay, we're going to ask Dennis to come forward and give us the message this morning. I'm going to start out this morning by talking about this. It's a stone. No. <laughs> it's, no, they're still in here. <laughs> a stone. Um, have you, anybody seen Schindler's, Schindler's List? Um, the Jewish people, they put a stone on a tomb or the gravesite, headstone, whatever you call it, um, and they set that on there as a legacy. It is to remember the person as they lived, but also to remember them in the afterlife or heaven usually, but we all know that. <laughs> um, so I just want to talk about legacy this morning, and it comes from 2 Kings 13, um, 14 through verse 25. And like Mike's uh, magic box last week, this will be for sale. <laughs> Just the first bidder will be fine. <laughs> so Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face. And said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So then he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands over the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria for you. You must strike the, the, you must strike the uh, Syrians and Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So then he struck the ground three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. He said, you, have, you should have struck the ground five or six times then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elisha died, and they buried him. So the way we live will continue to minister long after we are gone, being good or bad. Centuries ago, Charlemagne ruled, today, uh, ruled what today is much of the European continent by a strange situation this ruthless ruler conveyed an important spiritual message to the world, but not during his lifetime. Instead, it was after his death by the bone of his index finger. See, when he died, they placed him in a tomb with a marble throne, and they propped up his hand with a scepter, and they had a signet ring on his other hand, and draped him in purple clothing, and then they sealed the tomb. Well, centuries later, Someone opened the tomb, and there was nothing but a pile of ashes where the arm was propped up. That was all down. Um, and uh, they had a scroll placed on his lap. And was, his life was... Um, they, they had a scroll with the many deeds of his life, but many of his deeds were evil. But they thrown in enough scripture to make it look like he, God was in his favor, or he was in God's favor. Um, 
So when they opened up the tomb and they seen everything and disintegrated and his finger was on the ground, the scroll happened to be right under his finger. And um, by chance, his finger bone was pointing at um, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, which comes from Luke 9.25. So the bone of a dead man spoke greater truth than a man had ever spoken in his life. We should live our life that our um, life continues to minister even after death. Our ministry or legacy can last longer than we can. The Bible teaches us that the reputation of a godly life can help bring life to others even after we are gone. So God gave a testimony, or give God a testimony he can use. Alicia was about 80 years old and dying of some illness. We don't really know what lingering disease he had. Um, a very different exit than his mentor, Elijah, who we all know was taken up in a fiery chariot into heaven, and he never experienced death. <clears throat> there doesn't seem to be any bitterness, however. Um, he is ready to minister when he's called upon. This alone says something about his character. Interesting enough, this is the first mention of Elisha in 43 years. The last reference to him was in 2 Kings 9, an event that precedes this passage by about 43 years. So what was going on for 43 years that the Bible was silent about Elisha? He was probably just faithfully serving God. No great miracles are recorded for this 43-year-old, 43-year uh, time period. It was just routine, faithful service. This is the bulk of his ministry, and it is often the bulk of ours, too. We often think of a great spiritual ministry being of supernatural events that happen all the time. Um, if you watch, watch some of them preachers on TV, there's always something miraculously happening. It's probably not true, but... <laughs> but in the bulk of spirituality, it is rather mundane faithfulness day in and day out. It is the mundane, constant faithfulness, however, that leaves the greatest testimony of our lives. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for years, and they were returning to New York. They had no pension, their health was broken, they were discouraged, defeated, and afraid. They discovered they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning home from one of his big game hunting trips. They watched the fanfare they accompanied the president's entourage with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of the great man. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something must be wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service to God in Africa for all these years and no one cares a thing about us? Here this man comes back from a hunting trip and everybody makes so much to do over him. And nobody gives a hoot about us. Dear, you shouldn't feel that way, his wife said. I can't help it. It doesn't seem right. When the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there also. They slipped off the ship and found a cheap apartment on the Upper East Side, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city. 
That night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this anymore. It's not fair. His wife replied, why don't you go in the bedroom and tell that to the Lord? A short time later, the man came out from the bedroom. His face was completely different now. His, eyes, his, uh, yeah. his wife asked, dear, what happened? The Lord settled it with me. <laughs> I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming. When one of us returned home, and when I finished, it seemed as the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and said, but you're not home yet. The greatest testimony of our lives is not the occasional miracles that catch people's attention, but the faithful obedience to God every day. Are we doing what we do for recognition? Are we doing what we do for the Lord? It is interesting that King Jehoash first came to help from Elisha instead of turning to his army. The, the phrase he says upon finding the dying prophet, my father, my father. The chariots and horsemen of Israel is a way of saying that Elisha was more valuable than all the horsemen of Israel. When, con when confronted with an enemy, the king was more interested in the help of an old dying prophet and a faithful man of God than his whole army. Perhaps the king was worried that what would happen without Elisha. At least that was a step of faith on the king's part. And Elisha assures him by placing his hands over the king's on the bow and asking him to strike the ground. God has, God's hand is upon you, king. Ironically, Teddy Roosevelt said, it is better to be faithful than famous. Elisha tells the king to open the window towards Aram, which is Syria, and shoot as an act of faith that God will give him a victory over the enemy. Can you imagine being outside and all of a sudden the arrows start flying? <laughs> um, back then, the king would either shoot an arrow or throw a spear into the country or towards the country um, that he was going up against. And uh, it would show towards um, an act of confidence towards his faith in God to help him in the battle. Up to this point, the king merely did whatever Elisha told him. But now Elisha tests the king's faith by telling him to strike the ground, but not telling him how many times. The king um, could not only do what Elisha says, he must have his own faith. We cannot go to heaven on someone else's faith. Elisha had full faith in that God would help them against the enemy, but did the king? Without being told how many times he strikes the ground three times, Elisha become angry. This was only moderate faith at work. He should have struck the ground five or six, maybe even seven times. But the king had only moderate faith. The results will be moderate. Is our whole faith in God? Or are we just moderately faithful? They would only win three victories against the Armenians but it would take five or six victories to totally destroy them. This was a tragic failure for it meant a mediocre life for Israel under Jehos. The king's heart was not fully into obeying God, 
A college man walked into a photography studio with a photograph. And in order to make a copy of it, they had to take it out of the frame. So when they went to duplicate it, uh, they noticed an inscription on the back of the, photo, for the photograph. My dearest Tom, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you forever and ever. I am yours for all eternity. Signed, Diane. And it contained a P.S. If we ever break up, I want this picture back. <laughs> Does that sound like moderate faith to you? <laughs> we who have been baptized have professed our love for God and for others. We belong to Christ. There can be no P.S. in our life given to God. We are his, and we belong to him forever. The legacy of this king was only a so-so life. He could have become a great king if his faith would have been great. He never fully lived for the Lord. How about us? Is our faith only mediocre? How will our children see our walk with God? Is our faith wholehearted? What legacy will we leave them about walking with God? Will the testimony of our life still speak life in the future after we are gone? So Elisha now dies, and through Aram is pushed back somewhat. A new enemy also gives Israel a hard time, the Moabites. They come in every spring to raid the crops and steal from Israel. By not living for the Lord, the nation had lost God's blessing. They lived from one frustration to another and still wouldn't turn to the Lord. Maybe that sounds like some of our lives here today. God was about to speak again through the man of God, though he was long dead. The testimony of his life would still exclude, exclude power even after death. One day, as a group of Israelites were carrying a dead friend for burial, they met up with one of the Moabite raiding parties, and to protect themselves, they threw the dead body into a tomb. It just happened to be Elisha's tomb. Something weird and wonderful happens when the dead man's body touches the bones of the man of God. The dead man was instantly brought back to life. Though long gone, Elisha's testimony still had power. Imagine this man's surprise upon experiencing such a bare-bones ministry. <laughs> I don't know if he really knew he was dead or not, but he definitely knew he was back alive. <laughs> so one question, one, you know, he was probably, there were a lot of fighting going on back then. I wonder if he went back into the fight or if he stayed back, say, ah, I've had enough of this. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> <clears throat> I was going to give out bones today like I did uh, last time, but I didn't think it would be appropriate. <laughs> and my dog wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> so one day as a group of Israelites, oh, I did that part. This was certainly meant to send a message to all of Israel. Though they were dead, contact with God can bring them back to life. Elisha stood as God's representative and his testimony still contained the power of God. 
He used the bones of Elisha to speak through. It was also a symbol of what God wanted to say to this dead nation, to make contact with God and live again. It seemed that nothing went right in Israel. If only they could link the quality of their life with this lack of faith, the constant battles with the enemy was God's way of trying to send them a message. But they weren't listening. So the lady was visiting the Holy Land, came upon a sheepfold located a hill, high on a hilltop. Her attention was drawn to one poor sheep who was sitting there just crying out in pain. Looking more closely, she discovered that the leg was injured. She asked the shepherd how it happened. He said, I had to break it myself. The sheep kept running away, and the only way to stop him was to break his leg. But now, when I heal the sheep, he will come at my beck and call and obey my voice. Sometimes, um, from past experience, I've found that sheep will follow me once they've get uh, nursed back to health because of the loving relationship that I will establish as I care for the sheep. The woman replied thoughtfully, sometimes we poor human sheep also want our stubborn ways and as a result, stray into dangerous paths until the good shepherd sends sorrow and pain to arrest us. Coming into a sweeter and closer communion with our Savior, we at least are conditioned to hear his voice and follow his leading voice. The only thing that has allowed a rebellious nation like Israel to continue to exist anyway is God's love. God had made a commitment to Abraham concerning his descendants. And though they were rebellious, God would not destroy them. Instead, he put them through the fire to get them to return. This is not God's meanness coming through. It's his love. God's heat is not intended to destroy, but to save. A diamond is a chunk of coal that is made good under pressure. How much easier the lives might have been if they had turned to the Lord. As God had promised and according to the level of faith King Johas had expressed, the king got exactly what he had faith for, only three victories and partial recovering from the enemy. Only some cities were recovered. Many stayed, you know, under the others. But in his lifetime, the enemy was not completely overcome. God had been faithful. Too bad the king had only been somewhat faithful. King Johas' legacy might have been different had he had trusted in God. What will our legacy be? We cannot always judge our faithful walk's impact by the moment. It may seem that we walk faithfully and nothing much happens, but only God knows how later it can make an impact. We need to stay faithful even when we don't see the results now. Once some Salvation Army officers um, were out a miserable December night in an open-air meeting. Not another person was around, but they said God didn't need people out listening. He only needed us to be faithful. So they played a few carols 
and gave a short message before everyone retreated inside. A few weeks later, one of the leaders was ringing a bell outside of his store when a lady asked him if he had been on the street corner two weeks earlier. She explained to him, my father had been in a coma for six months. We were dreading the holidays since dad was not really with us. But when he heard the carols, and to our amazement, my father sat up and said, that's God's music. Then he died. <laughs> what an encouraging proof that God's faithfulness to those who are faithful. The death of a man of God did not mean the death of the God of man. Alicia's faithfulness lived on in power after his death, and so can ours. A bare-bones ministry can only happen after we have fleshed out a life of faith now. <clears throat> Give God something to work with later by how you live today. The testimony of Alicia's life continued to minister even after he was dead. Alicia's life had so demonstrated the presence of God that even after death, just having contact with his bones brought the dead back to life. May our lives be so evident if God's presence that others find life in God when they come in contact with us. Whose timing are we on as a church? When we do things in and for the community or others, we need to remember not all seeds planted sprout instantly. Some take years. Others will, we will never see. Does that mean we should not sow? Just remember, we are instruments used by God to do his will and his timing. It is only human to want to see the results immediately. That's our culture. That's why we have so much road rage. We have express lines, and if there's more than two people in front of you, you get anxious, you're like, come on. I thought we were supposed to be an express line. Um, <laughs> Fast food, sometimes it's not so fast and people get angry. But just remember, God has a plan and it's not up to us to hurry God. We need to be faithful and do our part as workers to further God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you, Dennis. That was really good. So I just want to encourage all of us. Or, um, let, let's, let's respond to the word that we heard today. And I was told many years ago that when, when I respond to God, if I say not yet, that, that starts with N-O. So when I tell God not yet, I'm basically saying, no, I'm not going to respond to that. So let's just at least be honest with ourselves. How are we going to respond to the message of living a faithful life regardless of the results that we can see? I, I know for me, I want to like, spend some quiet time alone with God and just see... Like, like walk through my last couple of weeks, my last few months, and just go, okay, am I still giving God my best? Do I have a quiet time built into my life like I used to? Um, am I regularly fasting? Am I getting in the Word? Am I praying? What am I praying for? Who am I praying for? How am I praying for this church and this neighborhood 
on a regular basis. You know, just simple things like that. These aren't earth-shattering. Uh, we don't have to see if we have to go to India for three years or anything like that. But where's my relationship with God? And so I just want to, just how are we going to respond? Is, is it going to be a not yet? Or am I going to respond by, and then you guys can all fill in the blank. But just, I just want to say that was a great word. Thank you for bringing that. Um, I know the older I get, the more I want to make sure I'm hitting the mark with my family. And, you know, I, the, God changed my family tree a lot with our generation. He's changing it more with Melanie's generation. And by the time it gets to Mason and Emerson, I'm looking for something completely different than what I was raised in. I, I don't want them to even, if I told them some of my stories, they'd have zero reference to that story because they've never seen it, they've never experienced it. So as we think about legacy in our lives, in our kids, in our grandkids, what's, what are we going to leave behind this church 50 years from now? Because most of us are going to be gone 50 years from now. But we have, well, we have left this better than we found it. So um, why don't you go ahead and pray for all of us, please. Bow our heads. Father, Father, please forgive us for putting limitations on you and your power. Forgive us for not doing your will. We ask that you draw each person here listening to this message close to you and your will for their lives. Father, thank you for this time you have spent together learning more about you and worshiping you today. Father, may we be committed to serving you in our daily lives. Lord, show us how we can bless others every day. Help us to see you in the monotony of the mundane. Lord, help us to see your blessings all around us in the simple things. And as we leave here today, Lord, fill us with your peace and have your spirit fill each one of us and draw us closer to you, Lord. Amen.